Welcome back. I hope you're enjoying this podcast series. It's only just begun and there are a lot of adventures lying ahead. I thought, however, that before we start today's episode, I'd attend to a tiny bit of podcast housekeeping, if there be such a thing. There may be episodes where we don't include the next chapter of the official story of UNRWA, but don't worry, by the end of the episode series, we'll have covered it all. The reason for this is that I'm endeavouring to keep each episode to a time of 20 minutes or less. There may be one or two longer episodes that relate to a longer letter, but that's what's going on. So now, let's get back to our story. In this episode, Betty Souter finally arrives in Shanghai, China. Nowadays, the journey from Sydney to Shanghai can be accomplished in a comfortable non-stop flight of 10 hours and 20 minutes. Things were a little different in early 1946, not only in terms of travel time, but also that word comfort. It is true, though, that her status as an educated, attractive single woman moving through a devastated post-war world did provide her some advantage in negotiating what we nowadays call an upgrade. Betty's journey involved eight flights just to get to Manila, all of them in the trusty C-47 twin-engined military transport plane, unpressurised and mostly without passenger seats. Trusty and reliable they may well have been, but I've been told by a pilot friend that they are very noisy and anything that's not shaking and rattling isn't working. On her way, she stopped in Brisbane, Townsville, Finchhaven, New Guinea, Hollandia, which is now called Jayapura, and Biak in Papua, Moritai, a northern island in Indonesia, Tuklaban, the provincial capital of Leyte province in the Philippines, and finally Manila. She describes her eight-day layover in a ruined, hot and dusty Manila, awaiting yet another flight, this time in a four-engined C-54 Skymaster for the final 1,200-mile flight across the East China Sea to Shanghai. But it's her story. I'll let her tell it. Eighth of April, 1946, Mrs. Betty Souter, UNRWA, 370 North Su Chow Road, Embankment Building, Shanghai. My dear Dad, I started to write home last night, but soon gave up the job, realising that I was suffering from the most severe attack of homesickness. Today I feel better. Our sojourn in Manila ended abruptly. During the hottest day we had spent in that city of rust and ruin, at 2.55pm, I was paged and informed that I could get onto the Shanghai plane, providing I was ready to leave the billet at 3pm. <laughs> I made it. Anything to get out of that heat. The actual temperature, I do not know. But Manila has an average of 95 degrees day and night all year round. It becomes tiring, even after eight days which was the length of our term. Bill Taylor left me. Harry Bishop had managed to get a berth on a ship 
four days earlier, and our four-engine plane, the DC-54 Douglas, left Manila at exactly 6pm from the famous Nicholas Field airstrip and started on the hop to Shanghai. We travelled at the cruising speed of 200 miles per hour and the whole trip was as smooth as glass. For the takeoff and 20 minutes thereafter, we had to wear our May Wests strapped around our necks. Funny things, May Wests. They hang around one's neck and are kept in place with straps across the middle of the back and straps between the legs. Once again, I was thankful for wearing the slacks. I've learned a trick of chewing gum while flying. You'd have to be amused to see your B-A-L-L-B baby perched on the bench seat of a troop plane, strapped into safety belts and May West chewing gum like mad, in the company of three U.S. colonels, U.S. major, two war correspondents, and friend Bill. The age of chivalry has not passed. Although I wore pants, I've spent most of the time of the six-hour trip in the pilot's bunk up in the cruise quarters. The pilot of course, not being there, snoozing or being waited on by the youngest member of the crew who plied me with blankets, pillows, coffee, donuts, orange juice, chewing gum and anything else he could think of. Yes, it was a most pleasant trip. And so, to Shanghai. We came over the lights of this vast city just after midnight. Although there's a curfew, 12 midnight, The city remains a blaze of lights till all hours, but the traffic does stop, which it does not do in Manila, except for the occasional rickshaw. I'm compelled to agree that UNRWA is, in many senses, a disorganisation. On arrival at the airbase, there was no one to meet us, no instruction, only an office, daytime number to telephone, and apparently no place to go. The base is 12 miles out of the city. In vibe the epidemic of smallpox, which has broken out here, we had to endure another vaccination of the particular serum relating to the variety of the disease that's now prevalent. Then we had to collect our bag from the check room and then a general runaround to get accommodation. Bill is willing, but not too good in such difficult conditions. There's a civil servant training in him, I suppose. But we were lucky in meeting a local resident who appeared to know a great deal about UNRWA movements in the city, a pleasant young man who managed to get us transported to and accommodated in two of the UNRWA hostels. When I reached my quarters, it was just 2.30am. When I woke in the morning, Sunday the 7th, I found two of my roommates to be Australian girls, one of them the lass who was so unhelpful about my clothing. The third roommate, from the USA, was packing her goods and left for one of the provinces straight away. There are two spare beds here now, and I fear that friend Rosebotham will be occupying one of them tomorrow or the next night. Did I tell you that said Rosie caught up with me in Brisbane and then again in Manila? In Manila, I saw very little of her, though we lived next door to each other for six or seven days, partly because I think she knew I didn't want to be her buddy. Golly! I've heard that word a lot in two or three weeks. And partly because she was having a whale of a time and obviously didn't want me to be in on her parties. It seems that she received a proposal of marriage from a Dutch Navy lieutenant, but preferred to dabble with the possibility of getting one from a US major. Yes, Manila, 
can be lots of fun for any girl, and I had my fair share of it while there. Yesterday, being Sunday, was quiet as far as Unra was concerned. China, or perhaps I should just say Shanghai, carries on its business just the same as on any other day, but Unra takes a rest. I still could not contact anyone, so had to depend on my roommates for some Chinese money and for directions as to entertainment. I joined them for a ride in a closed-in truck, rather like our little GPO vans, but with windows along all the sides, called a cheese box. Around the city and out to one of the airfields, past Chinese military barracks and the training fields, it was interesting. I learnt that Chinese bury their dead on the surface of the ground, building a mound above them. Their burial places are located anywhere and everywhere. No regular cemeteries. It had been puzzling me as to why these mounds appeared every here and there on perfectly flat-looking land. That was the answer. We saw a bridal couple pass along the street yesterday. They were sitting in a rickshaw, and the only parts of them visible above the mound of flowers were their faces. The bride had a red high tiara on her hair, but I couldn't see any of the rest of her dress. Did you hear that rickshaws are banned in Shanghai? Then don't believe it. I believe there was a strike of 60,000 rickshaw boys one day last week, but that no one could notice any difference around the streets. 9th of April, 1946. For the present, I'm living at the new Royal Hotel on Nanking Road, about five miles out of the Shanghai Post Office, which, incidentally, is only a few doors along North Suchow Road from the Unra office in Embankment Building. My mail should be addressed in the manner following. I think it's the same as that which I last gave you, Mrs. Betty Supta, care of Unra. Embankment Building, 370 North Su Chow Road, Shanghai, China. I'm longing for a letter from home and hope it will arrive soon. I mentioned earlier that Harry Bishop left us in Manila and got passage on a ship. In spite of him leaving Manila six days before us, he has not arrived here yet. Harbour facilities are so overtaxed that his ship has to wait outside until a wharf becomes available, possibly a matter of weeks. He carries my papers with him, and so I cannot be given a definite assignment for the present. I'm just filling in time, getting to know the layout of this huge office, etc. This morning, we go to the British Consulate for registration of our passports. Yesterday, there was a lot of routine, badly organised, concerning putting me on the payroll, giving me an advance of Chinese money, 75,000 Chinese dollars, registering my billet, etc., The money system is ridiculous. 2,000 CNC, Chinese national currency, equals one US dollar or six and threepence Australian. Breakfast costs 1,500 CNC. A dinner, anything up to six or 7,000. At our billet, we have two big adjoining rooms with a balcony and private bathroom. It's comparatively clean. Nothing is really clean here. And we have hot water, night and morning. The service is good, all Chinese boys. And we can get tea or meals in the room if we wish. In actual fact, Sydney would class this place as about fifth rate. 
but I'm fast getting used to roughing it. It seems obvious already to me that China wants this city for herself. Europeans are very scarce, and those who have lived here for a number of years say that the attitude towards them has changed and that they have been gradually but definitely squeezed out. China only wants from UNRWA the goods that UNRWA has to give. She does not want interference, organisation or education. But perhaps I express my observations too early and too much from hearsay. There is a possibility I may be sent out to the provinces after all. No assignment can be made until Harry arrives with my papers. It is quite general for personnel to be sent out 1,000 miles or more into the heart of China by jeep or riverboat. UNRWA equips us well, and a great deal of the stuff I bought from Sydney is unnecessary. The embankment building, as its name suggests, is situated on the north side of Chow Creek, a dirty, smelly waterway packed with heterogeneous craft on all of which live two or three families. Occasionally a boat moves along a short distance one way or another, but for the most part, the craft only serve as floating living quarters. They could hardly be called dwellings. I have forgotten to state that the weather here is cold. I wear my overcoat over my heavy uniform and I'm not too warm. Quite a change from the six days in Manila. Unfortunately, I collected a cold in the nose, the natural result of the sudden change, and I shall go looking for an unresponsive drugstore after lunch, as I could feel quite a lot better. I shall also use the introduction that Mrs Marshall gave me to her friend in the Cathay Hotel this afternoon, partly for the general sociability of it and partly in an effort to get a room in that hotel. Later. I've had a great number of interruptions since starting this letter. I hope it's not too disjointed. We'll have to sign off now, not to work, but to go to lunch. Lots of love to you all. Extra special bit for yourself, bet. Su Betty. That's the Chinese version of Betty Souter. P.S. I believe I've already had a rise in salary. I can't think why. It is £1,150 from the 1st of April. Production credits for this episode, produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn, and the featured tune, Personality, by Johnny Mercer and the Pied Pipers, recorded in 1945 and still very popular in April 1946. When Madame Pompadour door was on a ballroom floor said all the gentlemen obviously the madam has the cutest personality and think of all the books about Dubarry's looks what was it made of the toast of she had a well developed personality what did Romeo see in Juliet or Pierrot in Pierrette or Jupiter in Juno? You know. And when Salome danced and had the boys in trance, no doubt it must have been easy to see that she knew how to use her personality. Thank you.
transportation well and never sit on a bus or settee unless she's got a perfect personality a girl can get somewhere in spite of stringy hair or even just a bit bored at the knees if she can show a faultless Personality Why are certain girls Offered certain things Like sable coats And wedding rings By men who wear their spats right That's right So don't you say I'm smart And have the kindest heart Oh what a wonderful sister I'd be Just tell me how you like mine Ruff. Personality Baby, you've got the cutest Personality 